across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham, on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. The weekend is here, ladies and gentlemen, and I predict there are going to be lots of parties, lots of barbecues and lots of family gatherings. Of course, no one will know about them, no one will admit to them and no one will be punished for having them. But the bottom line is that they will still be technically against the lockdown rules, which aren't being lifted until Monday, which happens to be the 1st of June. There is a definite feeling of optimism in the air. There are more cars on the streets and more people out and about in this great weather. Could it be that the government are steering us out of this crisis, despite whatever you might be being told by the three stooges of mainstream media and their calamitous cohorts. We'll be talking to Kate Hurry, who's always a voice of reason, and Dr Luke Evans MP, who's going to guide us through this lockdown lifting, because mark my words, there will be people doing things this weekend that they're not meant to do until Monday. Does it matter? I'm not sure that it does. And as ever, we want to hear from you. You are the eyes and ears of the Independent Republic. What are your plans for this weekend? Are you going to wait until Monday before you do anything? And what are you seeing and hearing out there today? Because what I can tell is that everyone I speak to says, basically, the lockdown is over. Now, I can't sit here and tell you that because that would be, of course, irresponsible. And the very last thing that we are here in the Independent Republic of Mike Graham is irresponsible. But there's no doubt at all that if you could do something on Monday... You can probably do it on Sunday, can't you? 0344 499 1000. Famously, Beth Rigby asked that question a couple of weeks ago to the Prime Minister. To much derision, howling of laughter around people in the rest of the country. Coming up later on, we'll be hearing from Dr. Ricky Bassan from the Henry Jackson Society on why the Grooming Gangs report is finally going to be published and what, if anything, it will say. Plus, we'll be checking in with consumer journalist Georgie Frost, who's going to be telling us about what rights you can expect to have if you're being ordered back to work. Plus, it's Friday, so naturally, it's time for another sparkling edition of the Perrier Awards in the company of Marta Malagon. I expect to walk away with a clutch of prizes as ever. 0344 499 1000. And of course, we are live streaming on YouTube right now, on Facebook and on Twitter. So get on it. Get with the programme. Watch us as well as listening to us. It's what everybody else is doing. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, as we've seen over the past few days, uh, two households of eight people in Scotland can meet outside in a public place. Two households of any size can meet outside in their local area. Uh, We're going to be finding out why there's a difference between Scotland and England and Wales, indeed, because it was only a couple of weeks ago that Nicola Sturgeon and the uh, First Minister in Wales were saying, oh, no, uh, we can't be doing what they're doing in England because we're not ready. Well, apparently they are ready uh, and they've now decided to do exactly what we're doing, only more. Bizarre, isn't it? Uh, Funnily enough, we'll be talking to many, many more people about this throughout the course of the morning uh, and throughout the course of the afternoon as well. Ian Collins coming up at one o'clock, of course. Uh, But let's go, first of all, right now to Dr Luke Evans, Conservative MP for Hinckley and Bosworth, a member of the Health Select Committee, and see what he makes of it all. Uh, Luke, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Very good morning to you on this lovely day. Yes, isn't it beautiful? I mean, I get the feeling that the government announcing something which says we can start doing this on Monday will tend to, to, to make people think, well, maybe I'll just do it on Sunday. What do you think? Well, I think the government set out a roadmap from the start to try and uh, get us out of this. And it's really important. And I take your point. Individually, you might think, well, look, what difference does it make? But there's, what, 65 million people in the country? If uh, you know, 10% of them think that uh, like that, that's 6.5 million people all doing the same thing. And this is part of the problem. We're doing it to protect those people who are shielded. Mm. And so if you all start going out and about en masse, because it's okay just for me, that's when we start getting the transmission of the virus up. So it's thinking about the big picture to save the people who we're trying to protect, which are those who are shielded. Yes. No, I think that's absolutely right. But I think the government's been quite clever at kind of suggesting things that the people should be doing, which inevitably sometimes some of them have already been doing for a while. Um, And I think the psychology has been quite important here. Well, I, I think you're right. And uh, when you in your introduction talked about people, there's always the idiots out there who are going to uh, breach uh, the rules and the police can enforce them. But of course, the police operate on consent. And what they'll first do is advise people, educate them, ask them. And then if really needed, they'll have to find them from there. Most people understand what we're trying to achieve here reduce all the burden of the virus so that the NHS can survive, but also start to get the economy back to normal. We're Mm. going to have to learn to live with this virus. That's really important. 
But we've got to do it in stages. If we go too quickly, we're going to risk having a big problem. So gradual little steps, easing us out. Every two weeks, if you think about it, that's how long it takes for the virus to show. And if it's going on across millions across the country, we need to see if there's any spikes. Let's remember, we've gone from an average uh, of 950 cases uh, in mid-April down to about 250 now uh, of deaths, sorry. And, and so that's really important. We've made progress. Every death is one too many, and we would need to keep that reduced as best as possible. But we've got to start getting back some normality as well. Yes, and are most of the deaths that we're seeing now mostly outside of hospitals, i.e. more or less in care homes or in, in people's homes themselves? Do you know, I, I haven't actually seen the figures, uh, the most recent ones on that. My gut feeling would be that would be the case. But the whole point is... It's the spread of the virus and those unfortunate people, the 10% of people who get this virus will end up in hospital, of which 1% or 2% will die. Mm. The good news is for most of us, it will just be a nasty flu. But it's those few people who are vulnerable, those shielded people that we've got to think of, those 1.5 million people who are vulnerable, um, who have locked themselves up away on the medical advice. They're the ones we're all doing this for. Yes. And what is the policy now for people over 70? I've got a, a tweet here from somebody called Nigella, who's a listener, a regular listener to this show. Uh, she's asking, what is the advice for over 70s now? Yeah, that's a really good point. And so people get a lot of uh, confusion about this. Um, we've got to remember there's the extremely clinically vulnerable, and they're the people who got the letter from the NHS, 1.5 million people. They've been told you must lock yourself up, stay away to protect yourself. We've then got the clinically vulnerable. They're, uh, so they're the people who need to observe social distancing and really take note of that. That's where the stay alert, I mean, it, it got some ridicule in, uh, from uh, very small uh, parts of, uh, of the media. But actually, this is exactly the point. So if you're healthy above 70, you need to uh, think very carefully about where you're going, really monitor that uh, social distancing, um, but you can go out and about, so you're not completely locked in. Yeah, I mean, the idea that some portions of the media appear to be complete idiots uh, should not escape the, uh, uh, the, 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 the notice of the rest of us, you know. But I find it quite extraordinary that some people were wondering about going, oh, we don't know what stay alert means. It's pretty bloody obvious, isn't it? Well, I, I think that with all the guidance that's out there on the gov.uk website, it's all there for people to have a look at. I direct them there. If anyone's ever got any problems, I spend a load of my time emailing people out saying, actually, the advice is here for you to get the guidance that you might well need. Um, I think the people get the, the picture that if you start to get a cough, you start to lose your sense of smell. If you start having a temperature, the chances are you could well have the virus. So you need to take precautions, lock yourself at home, self-isolate because you don't want to pass it on to anyone else. I think that's fairly obvious now. Yes. And the British public have got that. Yes, I think so. I, another question I was asked the other day, and I'm sorry to turn this into a bit of a and a for you, but uh, I had a question from a, um, a mother who, who, who tweeted in the other day to say that she's a cancer survivor. She's been treated for cancer. She's now clear of cancer. However, her immune system is somewhat compromised. Should she be feeling safe about sending her child back to school or, or should she be considering not doing that? I mean, it's really hard to answer a specific clinical question from there. If she's really worried, she should still be under follow-up from a specialist or a GP, she could ask them. Uh, as a grand rule, um, the evidence shows that children aren't sort of super spreaders. From her child's point of view, um, they are. you're more likely to be uh, to die from the virus in uh, driving to school uh, yes. than actually um, getting virus which is really good from her individual point of view it's really hard to pass comments on that and i'd advise her to speak to a gp okay um, as far as the schools opening on monday is concerned i'm not quite sure how much you, you know about it but uh, it would appear that again um the, the opposition to that has kind of faded away because the government have more or less proven that they have reached the five tests that they wanted to reach well listen i look Teachers, parents, governors all got in contact. They're concerned and rightfully so to make sure we do this at the right time. The government has put the evidence out there to say this is why we're doing it. And it always said this was a provisional date to work on. If it was right and the conditions were right and the tests were met and we can do it safely, we will gradually release lockdown. And that's what it's all about. Remember, it's always uh, at the point of picking an individual case. This is on the mass across the whole country because if we all take that advice on board and behave by it. There are always some idiots who will breach it. But of course, the whole point is that we're trying to do this to protect those individuals who are most vulnerable. Yes. Let's talk about the quarantine suggestions, because as far as I'm concerned, we haven't yet 
been told absolutely that there is going to be quarantine for people coming into the country from overseas, whether they've been away working overseas or whether they're people coming in from another country. I was given yesterday a list of the exemptions to quarantine, which is a very long list indeed, um, uh, which covers everybody from road haulage workers to registered health care professionals to uh, all sorts of inspectors to uh, members of NATO, people in the armed forces. You know, it's a very long list. It seems to me that if you're going to quarantine people, but you're going to let loads of other people in without quarantining them it's not really a quarantine well if you think about that most of those people on that list i think almost all of them would uh, probably come under the line of key workers if we break this down from the very start we needed to have the key workers to keep moving to keep the country operating both from the health service and getting things like logistics moving things around yeah We've now released the lockdown and I got a lot of emails from people saying, look, why can't I travel to meet my, um, you know, my parents or why can't I go and see my grandchildren? And I wrote back from saying, well, hang on, the next step is to try and get the economy back on its feet. Let's do it slowly. We then need to see two weeks to see if there is a rise in the R value and infections do go up. They didn't. The next step would be, well, those key workers can start to think about traveling. So, uh, for example, I had a chap in my constituency who needed to go to Gibraltar mm. to, um, to try and help with ITU training. That seems very sensible, whereas at the start of this breakdown, we had 4.8 million uh, Brits abroad. So if we start getting that volume of people traveling, you can see where the problem will be. And so that's the whole idea. Actually, we've got to say, get the economy back online first, then allow people to have their holidays. And if they do want to go on holiday, they're going to have to take some precautions to protect us all. Yes, no, I get all that. But the point is, is my point that I was making is that there's not much point in having a quarantine for some people, but not all people, because I don't care whether you're a key worker or not. You could still get coronavirus. You could still bring it back to the country and you could still spread it. So whether or not you are a key worker isn't really the point. Well, it is because, I mean, the key workers are allowed out at the, at, the, at the moment, but they would have the same advice if they showed symptoms. They'd immediately have to self-isolate and book themselves a test to try and prove what's going on. So I, I think it does, the, the analogy stands uh, on where it goes. So what you're telling me is that people are being threatened with quarantine in order to stop them from travelling? No, I think it's a sensible public health approach to try and make sure that we reduce the spread of the virus and prevent it from coming back. No, but you're not really going to prevent uh, anything from coming into the country if you're quarantining people who don't have any symptoms just because they've been away for two weeks on holiday. What you're going to be doing is stifling the economy, surely. Well, no, it's, it, it's, a, it's a balancing act, isn't it? Because we want pe- people who, are, who want to travel are going to be able to travel but we need to think carefully about if that was to happen on mass if we drop the borders suddenly very quickly then lots of people might decide well good, great i haven't had a summer holiday i've been locked down and try to go across the country and indeed internationally and if they go internationally then we would be back into a problem we've got to remember i think the last figure i saw we're down to about one percent of air flights at the moment that is a problem and we've got to do things slowly that's all i'm saying that we need to think very carefully about it the essential people who need to get out and about to do their jobs to help keep our economy going are the first point and then widen it out which is why we're getting that uh, relaxation on the 1st, then on the 15th, if everything goes well, and gradually open ourselves back up in the hope that we can then have a normal-ish life with a decent economy as best we can, while also saving as many people and looking after them and not overwhelming the NHS. No, I get all that, but I, I, mean, I think it's a fiendishly cunning plan and I think it's very clever the way the government's doing it, but what I'm, at, what I'm, what I'm still convinced of is that it's about uh, nudging people into behaviours that you want them to do rather than actually protecting the country from the virus because effectively uh, airlines are saying if you have quarantine in this country, tourism is dead in the water. Well, I think there's nothing covert about it. I think it's very simple. I even asked a question about what are the government doing um, to, to uh, the Secretary of State, Alok Sharma, about how do we support local businesses? Because everyone knows that the economy is going to take a hit. Uh, most Brits, I'm hoping, think, well, look, how can I support my local economy? Get out there when it's safe to do so. Go out shopping in your outdoor market when it releases. Buy your fruit and veg from your local store. Really, let's back Britain from there and get things moving over the summer while we see how this pandemic across the world pans out. Sure. And uh, we're expecting Chancellor Rishi Sunak later on today, Luke, to uh, to come out with some new um, sort of instructions, read the furloughing scheme. Um, I don't know whether you know yeah. what he's about to do, uh, but clearly, obviously, the government can't continue to support people uh, to do nothing for the rest of their lives, even though some of them might quite like it. What, what's your understanding of what he's likely to be saying? 
Uh, I'd love to let's say I know what's coming. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> as a lowly backbencher, I won't find out. I'll have to wait whatever it is, six hours to find out when you find out too. I mean, you're right. If you told me as a brand new conservative MP that I'd be sat six months into my um, my term as a conservative MP uh, backing 11.5 million people, effectively employing them, I'd go, I, you know, you're off your rocket. Uh, but... We've had to do it. And, you know, it's one of the most generous schemes in the world. The Institute for Government said that it looks like it's going to be one of the best schemes compared to uh, places like the US, Canada, Ireland in supporting the economy. Because it, as you rightly point out, this is a lifeboat, um, not a lounge chair. And we need to try and get our businesses through so that they're in the best possible position to try and bounce back from something that we haven't had for 80 years. Now, as far as this weekend goes, according to the Daily Mail, you can visit Corfe Castle, Kingston, Lacey in Dorset. Uh, You can go to Attingham Park in Shropshire, uh, Clumber Park in Nottinghamshire, Hardwick in Derbyshire, Clifton in Buckinghamshire. Uh, So people can travel to places and wander about, uh, which is which is great. What, What are your plans this weekend, Luke? Uh, my plan this weekend is to concentrate on the garden. I've got one of those robot lawnmowers just in the uh, in the post finally come through. So I'll be getting that set up. Um, and then hopefully it was supposed to be my, uh, well, it was my anniversary, uh, first year wedding anniversary this week. I was supposed to be in Greece. And so I need to put some dedicated time in with the missus. Yes, well, that's always a good idea in these difficult times. Well, Dr Luke Evans, thank you very much indeed for talking to us. We'll talk to you again soon. Have a great weekend. Uh, Conservative MP for Hinckley and Bosworth. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. Don't forget we are live streaming on YouTube, on Facebook and on Twitter. You can join uh, the ever-increasing band uh, of people who are now listening to us and watching us as well. Uh, because, uh, in fact, it is quite a spectacle in this new studio that we've got high above the Thames overlooking the Tower of London, Tower Bridge, St Paul's Cathedral. You know, what a fantastic day it looks as well. Absolutely beautiful. Let's talk now, though, to our good friend Kate Howey, former Labour MP for Vauxhall, a woman who always talks sense and who always has. Kate, a very good morning to you. Oh, good morning, Mike. Welcome morning. to uh, to the newly formed and even more popular than ever Independent Republic of Mike Graham. I have to say, uh, I've been enjoying your Twitter feed over the last few days because it's been quite a <laughs> remarkable week one way or another, hasn't it? It has. It's, it's been, uh, I mean, every week seems to be now something that then just dominates the, the headlines. Yeah. And we've had that this week. But, um, you know, my, we're getting there, aren't we? We're moving on. Feels like it, doesn't it? To get back. Yes. And certainly here, here in Northern Ireland, where I am, we've had the... Uh, the six people meeting now for the last week, we were allowed to do that outside. Right. And uh, it seems to be working quite well. And I think now, of course, the demand here is to get it so that you can actually visit you know, families inside. Yes. But that I think that probably will take another week or so. Yes. I mean, it does seem quite extraordinary that, you know, two weeks ago, uh, the heads of the, of the three uh, um, sort of individual uh, countries inside of the United Kingdom, i.e. Northern Ireland, Wales and Scotland, all seemed to be united in the fact that Boris was trying to lift the lockdown too soon. And now they've gone ahead of him. Oh. I, I, I mean, honestly, I've, uh, you know, I've had my problems with the, the media over the years and Always, I've tried to stick up for a free press and yeah. all of that. But you know, we just in the last while, we've—I think all of us have felt, and many of us have felt—that there is just a, a kind of herd. Talking about herd immunity, there is a kind of herd <laughs> instinct within yeah. the in the media that is just uh, with a certain key ones. And you know, I, I, if 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 um, a, a broadcaster is not publicly funded, then I, you know, you can't really criticise them if they want to put on and have all sorts of people saying mm. all sorts of things. But I think it's the BBC that has has just shown really over and over again that they they seem to have no real concern for genuine genuine um uh you know non-bias on all no. sorts of things and no, of course we saw that through the breath thing and now it's kind of repeated in this because it does seem it's the same people who are you know obsessed about criticizing um uh, whatever is mm. happening on 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 the covid yeah. situation who people who on on brexit well, exactly right. And even as, as late as yesterday, you know, when the, the Durham police actually issue a statement saying uh, that they think that Dominic Cummings might have uh, breached in a very small way one of the lockdown rules, but they're not very sure. Suddenly everybody's reporting that he's been told that he's broken the law. And you're going, well, hang on a second, where'd you get that from? And they're still maintaining that they want to ask the Prime Minister this question. Uh, and I'm hoping that that was the last time it will happen. Well, I thought yesterday, given that the Prime Minister had just announced, you know, what 
many of us have been waiting for to get this kind of beginning of ease down. Yeah. And the first question was, was Laura Kunzberg, who just went back. And I just, I can just imagine, you know, millions of people watching that just saying, oh, no, or yeah. going, going as I've done increasingly now. Um, once I've heard the original statement, I'm afraid I just switch off. Yeah, exactly you know, right. Well, but, but on the, yes, I mean, we've, we've, we just have to hope that, uh, you know, the particular thing about Newsnight this, this uh, week, mm. not that I actually watch Newsnight uh, now anymore, that will have actually helped to make the BBC realise that, you know, they are just going to have to start looking at what they're doing. Mm. Otherwise, the whole campaign to get rid of the licence fee is growing. Well, it really is. I think they've handed everyone who wants that to happen uh, Mm -hmm. a massive gift by this Newsnight uh, screw up because fr- quite frankly not only is it clear that uh, uh, that Emily Maitlis is in the wrong but it's also clear that all the people behind the camera uh, have have the same mind I mean I haven't seen for example any BBC reports really of any na- of any sort of strong nature about Nissan who have now said that not only are they going to continue to manufacture in, in the northeast of this country but they've actually shut a factory in Europe in order to do so I know, and the, the whole, it's, it's the good news factor. People in a time of crisis, they need to have some good news. Yeah. And I'm sure, you know, during the war, the last war, I'm sure there was always something coming through to try and make people feel that things were getting better. And, and the Nissan was a, a brilliant example yeah. of that. But, you know, to me, all of this is about people having, you know, taking, taking, having common sense, taking that into account, and the, the government treating people as intelligent. Yes, of course, we're always going to have the you know, minority of people who do really stupid things. But, you know, the reality is that the vast majority of people know there was a danger with the virus, know that certain things had to happen and know now that they will have to behave in a certain way mm. to try and get things back to a kind of normality. And that, But it, it has to be about common sense, which is why the thing about, you know, what's going to happen in England if people come out on Sunday and you know, meet, meet in their garden and yeah. so on. I mean, that's people are not going to do anything that is really, really going to harm their families. And I think I think the government recognises yes. that. Yes. No, I think absolutely right. And as I've said to our uh, earlier guest on the show today, you know, there's no doubt that the government have done this in quite, what I think is quite a clever way, because they haven't ordered people around. They've kind of suggested mm. things. They've kind of confirmed things. And they've sort of, you know, they've sort of expanded on behaviour mm. that they kind of already know is going on. In London, for example, Kate, I mean, you know, people have been going into the parks and wandering about about when the weather's nice for about five weeks you know there's been very very small numbers of people yeah. coming out each, each with it with every given week more people are out on the streets more people are going back to work more people are sitting in cars more people are getting on the trains you know it's it's almost as though the people are kind of leading it but actually they're being encouraged to lead it by the government yes and i think after the first initial sort of overreaction by uh, some of the police uh, around the country. The police have been much more sensible about yes. approaching this now. Uh, again, recognising that you know the, it's it's not as if the, you know, the rules were always going to be able to be interpreted, and so much of it was guidelines, and that's where the common sense had to come in, and why you know certain people making huge fusses about certain certain individuals is, has just been crazy mm. but um, you know some people have, have have obviously behaved badly but the vast majority and that's what we've got to remember have behaved very sensibly apart from perhaps some uh, people who put on their Twitter feed singing well that was going to be my next question the people the people who have gone sort of mad it's a bit like Brexit derangement syndrome they've now got Boris Johnson derangement syndrome and Alistair Campbell seems to have suffered oh. from both I mean, quite an extraordinary performance that yesterday, wasn't it? Well, it was, and anyone who hasn't hasn't seen it really should look at it because it. it, it I think the saddest thing for me about it was under. Well, first of all, wondering what on earth has happened to Alistair that he felt that that was appropriate. Yes. But then the whole way that there's out of doubt at using you know medals. This was the um, the general service medal that was being used as, and this kind of. Making making fun almost of medals, uh, which was such a blow to so many people who lost loved ones in in uh, war situations, yes. and, and it was just shocking for some him to do that. Which is why, of course, uh, Help for Heroes has has put out a, mm. a, a, a tweet com- complaining about it too. And 
I don't. I feel a bit sorry for him. Actually, well, I wonder, you know, because he he does have the odd problem, Alistair, and I wonder whether he has just gone a bit over the edge. And so I've been a bit reluctant to kind of go yeah, full on and sort of kick him because, you know, I mean, I, despite our differences politically, I've always quite liked Alistair Campbell, and I think that he's not uh, intrinsically a bad guy. But he's a guy who mm. was very much at the top of government in this country, and for him to be so um, really tasteless and 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 thoughtless yeah. on on social media where where he's got an awful lot of followers i think it's i think it's ridiculous really well i think yes i think it was distasteful and i think given his role in 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 the iraq war yeah. it, it was even more uh, insensitive um but i think you're right i think maybe maybe the less attention it gets and the less attention he gets mm. um I'm, I'm hoping that it's not just because he's no longer, you know, in a in a big job that he feels he has to keep to make himself relevant. Because right. I'm hoping that I'm hoping that won't happen to me. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I was I was going to be my final question to you, Kate. How are you finding life outside of the sort of political Westminster bubble? Oh well, I, I mean, I'm very lucky because the weather's been so lovely, and mm. I'm I'm a bit of a I love um, bird watching and so on. So the, all the nature side of things has been wonderful, but. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm missing the fact that I'm that I can't. I'm missing my constituents, a yes. lot of them, genuinely. And then I'm missing the fact that, you know, I can't just pop on an easy jet flight to, yes. to London and back to Belfast, right. which is um, hopefully will will happen. Um, you know, in the not too distant future. Yes, hopefully in the next month or so, I think you might be able to do that. But listen, great to talk to you again, Kate. Thank you very much indeed. Kate Harry, former Labour MP for Vauxhall, always very much the voice of reason, uh, and I'm glad to say still is absolutely the voice of reason. We'll continue uh, to talk uh, to Kate and to touch base with her from time to time. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, it's been a while since we spoke to Stuart Weir, so I'm going to ask him some personal questions and get him to come clean on what his lockdown has actually been like. Stuart, very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Mike. My, my lockdown has been, I would have to say, pleasant, right. given the fact that there are a great many people out there who I don't like, so therefore <laughs> social distancing came in, in, into play, and I'd be very happy at that. Yes. But uh, for the most part, having two kids uh, of school age at home who both needed a bit of uh, tutelage and a bit of uh, teaching, um, and also having my wife working from home as well because right. um, she basically was told, um, actually a fortnight before the lockdown came, that she would be working from home for the foreseeable future. So we've had a very, very happy house. However, I did have need to phone the vet because, believe it or not, our cat, who can sleep for 12 hours a day and untroubled doing working hours yeah. is actually suffering from stress. <laughs> <laughs> well, the cat's probably fed up with the fact that she never gets uh, any time to herself, right? And you're always hanging about. Yeah, uh, that, that, that's entirely it. Mm. He, oh, he? he um, well, he's a he? Well, well, he's a he now. It was a she at the start of all of us, but he's a he now. <laughs> but it's... It's one of these ones where, you know, you're just not used to us being in and around the house. Uh, and even if I am at home, um, I'm, I'm locked in my study. Right. So I never actually came out. So he, he, he has a run of the house. But right. he, out of everyone, he's the one that's probably taken it worst of all. Yes. Now, do you find yourself doing what I find myself doing when I'm in London, which is basically moving from room to room for no particular reason, particularly uh, if I was when I was stuck at the weekends before when I came to work? Because I'm actually quite busy now. When I get home, I'm on the phone, I'm doing something, you know. But when I was, before I went, to, I was able to go and see the kids and I would stay in London at the weekends when I had nothing to do, I'd literally just spend an hour in one room and then sort of get up and go to the other room and do the same thing that I was doing, which was basically nothing, um, in a different place. Well, what was pointed out to me was the fact that <laughs> I have taken to actually walking about the house and finding different places to sit. <laughs> okay, so so we have a dining room, which yep. is hardly ever used, but has turned into uh, my good lady's office right. uh, currently. So I, I just went in there and, you know, pulled back a dining chair and, and sat and right. had a little moment to myself. Right. And then, you know, went into the living room, we were, uh, you know, a, a couple of settees and a, um, a rather uh, nice uh, lounge chair. So I sat in that for a bit. I never sat in that, usually because the cat's lying there, <laughs> but I never actually sat in it. So um, I found myself moving around the house, into the TV room, into the kitchen. Right. I'm just picking out random chairs and sitting on them for right. like 10 minutes. Yeah. And, I, and I had not noticed this until 
the, the, the kids and the wives came to me and said, we've noticed something about you. And when somebody notices something like that about you, then it's time to take stock of what you're actually doing and <laughs> wondering if actually you're going stir crazy. <laughs> well, this is the thing I've been saying to people. You can get away with murder now because basically everybody assumes you're going to become this kind of crazed eccentric <laughs> because you've been locked up for so long that you can pretty much do anything you like. But tell me, are you now going to invite eight people over, as you're allowed to do, uh, as per Nicola Sturgeon's instructions, uh, and why can you have eight and I can only have six? But I, I think there's also a bit of clarity here needed in, in terms of Scotland that whereas in England, you, can, you know, um, people can pass through your home to get to the back garden. Yeah. I don't think they can actually come through your home in Scotland. Right. Maybe that's changed this morning. Right. So I think you are allowed eight people in your garden right. as long as they don't access your house. Right. Now, given the fact that... There was some talking for using the toilet yesterday, it seems to me, in the, yeah, uh, in yeah, the press is. conference. Yeah. I can't remember what the rule was on that, apart from wash your hands a lot. Well, I, I think I think it's one where men might have to find a tree at the bottom of my garden <laughs> and the women might just, uh, <laughs> might just have to hold on. But yeah. um, unless unless somebody's um, related to Sergei Bubka yeah. and can actually pole vault into your garden, there's no way... We, we don't have any access to your garden... Um, except through, through the house. ...through the back. Right. Except through the house. So, uh, you know, I, I can imagine... I may get some cling film and, and wrap up uh, a couple of guests and just wheel them through in a wheelbarrow and dump them. Yes, that, that might look quite that, that might look quite suspicious. It, as I well. think you might get reported for that. Yeah, what about sort of a nearby park or something? You could go and hang out like a few jakeys with some uh, no, with some bottles no, the, of uh, buckfast. Yeah, the clink of Buckfast, the smell of Buckfast would put me off. Uh, people going, I mean, people uh, in England and, and Wales and other countries will go to the park and and walk around the park, uh, social distancing, smelling the roses. Yeah. If I go to my local park, all I can smell are beer cans and bottles of Buckfast, <laughs> and probably one or two people who are actually still lying in the park from yeah. the day before. Yes. So um, it's not a place I frequent very often. No, it's a bit difficult, isn't it? And what about the whole football scenario? Because Celtic were sort of rather... I mean, they probably would have won it anyway. I don't suppose there's any doubt about that. But but suddenly it was just handed to them, wasn't it? Whereas here, down here, we're going to be playing the end of the season uh, out uh, until the, I guess, I think, until the end of June, I think, perhaps? Yeah. Well, in England, obviously, the clubs have to get back simply because they don't want to be paying back small fortunes mm. to... The TV companies, right. whereas in Scotland, um, the TV companies don't want to be handed two goldfish in a balloon for what their, <laughs> their TV deals were. No, right. Um, and, and, you know, Celtic, you're right, Celtic would have won the title. I think the way it, it's happened, however, you know, uh, I think more people are upset um, at how Hearts have been treated mm. and the fact that, um, especially, especially Hearts. Because they've been relegated, right? They've been relegated unless they can actually form some sort of reconstruction. Right. Um, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll know next week whether that's a goer. Are they still owned by that Lithuanian bloke? No, no, that was a, that was a while ago. Yeah. They're, they're, they're owned by a woman um, by the name of Anne Budge. All right. Who looks like a kind of cuddly granny who um, would... would we pro- probably, probably, uh, as you would say in these parts, do you up a close on a dark night? <laughs> she's she's pretty ruthless, and I think that one or two other club chairmen and owners will find that out over the next yeah. uh, next week or so. The most but extraordinary I, I thing, the, the most extraordinary thing about that Lithuanian bloke, whose name was Romanov, I think, wasn't it? Um, that was he, I. He famously, Romanov, yeah. famously had a submarine. Um, and I went to Tyne Castle once for for some hospitality game or something like that. And sure enough, they're Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss.
there I saw Romanoff walking towards the director's box and standing next to him was a bloke that I knew called Will Stewart, who was a, a journalist based in Moscow, right? Um, who had suddenly become his right-hand man and his PR man. And I thought, this is a bit strange. You know, I went up to Will and I was like, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I was asked to look after his PR for a while. I was like, asked by whom? He said, I can't really say. And I thought, well, this, yeah. is, this is very strange. It's <laughs> all a bit KGB-like. Yeah, the Scottish Cup final, I think it would be 2006, when they played Gretna. The main stand at uh, at uh, at Hamden that day looked like something from the May Day Parade, because <laughs> Romanov had all his hangers-on, right. and various submarine captains, all there with the scrambled egg and that. Right. It's, it's a pretty wonderful photograph Amazing. that you can lay hands on. I maybe, I maybe post it up later on, yeah, good. but it, it, it's quite sensational. Right. So let's talk a bit about Nicola Sturgeon, because we had a bizarre call from Tony in Hull earlier, uh, who it turned out didn't like Nicola Sturgeon at all, which didn't sound like the beginning of the conversation, but basically said that he thinks she's playing a blinder in Scotland. I'm not sure there's that many people in Scotland would agree with that, is there? Well, there are the the default tees of of, uh, Nicola Sturgeon, who basically she can do no wrong in their eyes. I think there's one or two people who have suddenly caught on to the idea that, that... Nicola Sturgeon's thinking and um, you know the, the, the collective genius of the Scottish government is actually people sitting around a table waiting to uh, see what Boris does and then say, we'll do this in two weeks' time. <laughs> I think the real test for Nicola Sturgeon would be if she came up with her own idea and played it through to see what happened. And one of the reasons that we've been in lockdown and, and I think the, the measures are more stringent in Scotland is now, while Boris Johnson uh, is desperately trying to get the economy up and running again in England, uh, Scotland Scotland could not afford to have another sizable spike, so yes. to speak, in, right. in terms of the virus. Well, because the numbers the, game has not been great in Scotland recently, has it? No, no, and especially if you're in a care home, and especially if you're one of these people who was actually in hospital yeah. and um, who were basically shoved out of the hospital and sent back to the care home. Mm. I wouldn't imagine, actually, um, not to put too fine a point on it, that a great many people that I refer to are no longer here because of that. Right. Yeah, that's not good at all. And as far as the eight people is concerned, is that eight people in total or is it eight people plus you? It's eight, it's eight people eight people in, in total. So basically, my household, which currently has four... Yeah, um, so you can have another four. We can have another four. But again, most people that we know either have are either, either threes or fives. Right. So the, the, <laughs> they're... they're, they're we might actually need to get a set of um, stepladders and put them over the heads for somebody uh, to sit a, a bit like, a, 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 bit like a, a, a tennis umpire looking over the heads <laughs> and wishing that they could be there. <laughs> but this is the thing, isn't it, where you get these ridiculous questions at these press briefings where people say, I, mean, I always remember going back to that one when they first started lifting the stuff and the guy from the member of the public uh, came in and asked the question to Boris Johnson, I think, where he said, look, if I go to a park to meet a friend of mine, which I've prearranged, uh, but then there's another friend there who I didn't know was going to be there. What do I do? Should I go home? <laughs> and yeah. you just kind of go, just talk to them, you know? Just use your common sense, you know? Well, Nick- Nicholas Sturgeon said the other day there that if you, you, we could travel up to five miles. Um, I, 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 I honestly, I, I converted that into kilometres and came up with 246. <laughs> my, my claim is... But my arithmetic isn't very good. Is it all right? Can you can so, you go to Sky? Yeah. Is that all right? can you yeah, go there? No, you couldn't. No, you couldn't. No. What, what, I had this vision in my head that, given <laughs> given how patriotic a lot of Scots are, they would they would travel five miles and then five miles more. You know, about like the proclaimers, and at the end of all of this, they find themselves two hundred and fifty miles away and have to turn back because every time they found a place that was a bit full, they just drive on an extra five miles. Yeah, exactly right. Because that's the other thing. It's like, well, what if the place you want to go to is six miles away? Do you go there and then stop a mile from it and walk the rest of the way? You, you know, you find you find you find you find a friend who has an exceptionally long garden. <laughs> jump out after three miles, walk a mile in their garden, and then walk the extra two, and you've only actually travelled five miles. Yeah, exactly right. And what about this business that Nicola Sturgeon came out with? It was only what two weeks ago where she said, "Oh, we can't lift the lockdown rules here; it's too early. Uh, the R rate is too high in Scotland." Blah, 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 blah. But she's now doing exactly what we're doing, um, and doing more of it. Yeah, there has to be. A- 
you know, there's a bit of technology going on here, I think, Mike, and, and a great many of the general public actually have actually noticed this, that we're two weeks behind simply because if it all goes wonderfully well in England, then we're on this sort of cocktail. If it all goes horribly wrong, we've got at least two, a two-week window to say, hey, listen, let's hold back. We knew this was a bad idea right mm. at the outset. Right. Um, it's a bit, like the, you know, a bit like the football as well, as you, as you mentioned. You know, England need you know, the English Premier League need to play simply because they, they don't want to be handing back like 350 million quid. It doesn't really matter in Scotland. Yeah. One or two people are upset that Celtic have a uh, coronation, as I called it. <laughs> <laughs> and needless to say, I, I, I gained quite a few uh, followers on Twitter because of that. Thanks, uh, thanks for that comment. Um, and, and, and again, I, I think we are playing it by year and, you know, maybe just taking a, a, ch- a chance on one or two things. But ultimately, I think, ultimately, I think at some point in time, there will have to be a realisation that um, the four home nations all have to be aligned as yes. one, something to take the big next, not, not so much baby steps forward, but the, the big leap forward yes. will probably see an alignment of all the nations. Well, they'd have to, really, because presumably at the moment the English are still banned from going to Scotland, are they? But, but, but again, I think that, that depends on, on what Scottish minister you might, uh, or <laughs> whose Twitter account I mean, can I get in on the grounds that my parents are both from Glasgow? But no, that, wasn't, that wouldn't be enough to, to get your vote in the referendum five, uh, six years ago. No, I know. So I doubt very much, I doubt very much if, if you'd, um, you would qualify for a, a, a passport now. But no, listen, I, I think whilst there are these anomalies, you know, you, you, England started, you know, Scotland's supposedly the home of golf, yeah. but England started playing two weeks before us, much, much to the annoyance of golfers in Scotland. Yeah. You know, we're sitting up here with the best golf courses in the world and nobody can play them. Oh, you can, can, you, can, you, still well. not, can you still not play golf? No, no, it's, no, we, 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 we we have um, four four sort of sports or leisure activities that now are coming back in into play. You can you can play uh, golf. You can do a bit of uh, angling. Yeah. You can play lawn bowls, which Scotland is extremely good at, oh, yes. given our, our medals in the Commonwealth Games and the likes, and also play tennis. Right. Um, which is a new national sport after elephant polo um, because of Andy Money. But there, there was a bit of confusion yesterday whether you had to basically soak your, your balls in domestos or not right. in between points and how to pick up pick up, uh, pick up or, or search for balls that landed in your court. So, I, again, I think it's a kind of uh, suck it and see one in that as to, to how you actually get a game right. of tennis played without, um, without actually managing to compromise yourself or contaminate yourself. Well, my favourite instruction from Nicola Sturgeon's office was that you could now go out and sunbathe in Scotland, which I've always found quite difficult to do whenever I've been there. <laughs> As you would know, I, actually, I, I, think, I think she's anglified herself too much. In yeah. Scotland, we would say it's taps half weather. Yeah, exactly. I think, every, I think everybody knows what that, what that means. And right at this minute in time, it's taps half weather, even in my garden with seven other people watching me. <laughs> Excellent. Well, lovely to talk to you, Stuart. Enjoy the weekend, and we shall talk to you again soon. Uh, and maybe we'll even get ourselves up to Scotland one of these days. We shall, uh, we shall see. Stuart, we're there reporting in from uh, just south of Glasgow uh, in the beautiful countryside uh, down by uh, the River Clyde estuary. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. The Perrier Awards coming up very shortly with Marta Maligon. I'm expecting to win a whole clutch of them as ever uh, due to my brilliance in broadcasting this week. Right now, though, it is that time of homeschooling, of course, just after 12.30, uh, where you get the kids around the radio, uh, get them around the TV if you're watching on YouTube, uh, get them around your Alexa, get them in the car if you happen to be listening on a DAB radio in the car uh, or indeed on the Talk Radio app. So many different ways to listen. Uh, but now we're going to be doing the homeschooling section. And this uh, particular day. It's on the hydrological cycle, i.e. the cycle of water. Steve Brace joins us once more, Head of Education and Outdoor Learning at the Royal Geographical Society. Steve, a very good afternoon to you. Hi, Mike. Very pleased to join you today. Thank you very much indeed. Now, last time you and I spoke, it was about the tidal systems and how they all work. Today, we're going to talk about the hydrological water cycle. Um, tell us, first of all, what that is. Absolutely. Well, 
there's different places to start, but why don't we start with the power of the sun, which evaporates the water from the ocean, yes. from our rivers and streams, converts it into water vapour, and that goes up into the atmosphere. I'm looking out the window. I can't see any clouds outside my window, but that would form clouds if we could see them. Yeah, we haven't got any here either. Yeah, I think it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful, clear day. But mm. Anyway, if we had clouds, we'd be able to see them. Those clouds are made up of water vapour. Yeah. And they're very, very tiny droplets of, of water. Once those droplets become bigger, the, the gravity takes its course and they fall down to earth as precipitation. We get rain and snow and sleet and hail and all those sort of things. Mm. The water falls to the earth forms rivers and streams. Some gets trapped in the ice sheets and, uh, and glaciers on top of mountains, and some goes into the uh, into the rock cycle and infiltrates into rocks. And then eventually it all comes out in terms of the, the flow of rivers to the oceans and starts all over again. So it's one of these big cycles. It's absolutely vital to all, our, all life on Earth mm. and uh, influences weather very small scale. You know, in our gardens, mine's looking like a bit of a desert at the moment, <laughs> right through to big global systems as well. Yeah, we haven't had much rain lately, but tell me something. How is it that the water which rises evaporates from the sea uh, when it becomes water vapor it loses the salt where does the salt go yeah the salt's held in the sea so actually just the the salt isn't evaporated off and um that leaves the salt behind in the sea that gives us that that saline the salty we've all tasted salt water the saltiness of salt water mm. and an easy way to think about how salty the sea is if you imagine a litre bottle of water and a good handful of salt, about 35 grams of salt, that's the amount of salt that you get in a litre of water in the ocean. Right, OK. And the Dead Sea is probably about eight times more than that, but that's the saltiness you get um, You get in the, in the ocean. But, of course, that's left behind in the salty oceans and the seas. So that doesn't evaporate, interesting. Okay. It doesn't evaporate, it's just the water that evaporates. Now, there are other types of precipitation, aren't there, as well as rain? You can have snow, you can have hail, um, you can have dew. Yeah. Does that all come yeah. from the... Where does dew come from? Well, what we have is um, if a raindrop falls as rain, it falls as rain. But the water vapour can, if it freezes immediately, it forms as snowflakes and right. falls as ice. Hails where it freezes and thaws, freezes and thaws and it gets blown back up. And you often get hail on a sunny day, mm. which is melting the ice, and then it's blown back up and refreezing. Yeah. And that's why you get those sort of uh, the, the, uh, the globes of ice forming. And then dew and frost were at a different time of year is when the water condenses at ground level. So dew, you know, you get it, the, 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 the water on the grass in the garden and out in the parks and stuff. And frost, obviously, winter weight just goes straight yes. to ice from the water vapour. And if you have something like fog, that can sometimes be quite damp, can't it? Yeah, absolutely. And again, that's the, the, the water, you know, uh, um, the, the water vapour at ground level, um, you know, and that's why it feels damp and, and pretty horrible if you're walking around in it. Right. OK. Now, let's ask, let's talk about the drinking water that we have, because obviously, I mean, one of the things that, you know, if you live in London is that the roads are always being dug up by Thames water uh, because they're constantly fixing their pipes mm. under under the ground because yeah. they leak so much. And I mean, I once had a guy on from from uh, English water or British water or something like that. Um, and I said, do you have any idea how much leaks every single day? And he didn't know. And I said, well, it's about something like something ridiculous, like 48 billion litres of water every single day that leaks out of the pipes. And I don't know where that goes. I mean, that'll probably go into the into the soil, into the groundwater and come, come out that yeah. way. I mean, here in Britain, we have about about a third of our drinking water comes from aquifers. So they're largely chalk and limestone rocks yes. that hold the water in their pores. And then it's either pumped out or comes out in, in springs and so on. And then the rest comes from... Uh, artificial lakes, uh, you know, um, reservoirs. Uh, reservoirs and lakes and rivers. And, of course, it's treated, it's stored, it's filtered, it's aerated, it's put through something called GAC, which is artificial, um, sorry, activated carbon uh -huh. to purify it and then obviously pumped to our homes with a few leaks on the way by the sounds of it. Yes, absolutely well. right. And so is our sort of drinking water <clears throat> separate, separated out from our regular water? You know, for example, if you, I mean, I always remember as a, as a kid, we would drink water from the tap in the kitchen, but we never drank water from the tap in the bathroom. I think it's all pretty much the same now. Is I it? know there are different types. I mean, if, if farmers are irrigating the land yeah. uh, and their crops, that's a different standard of water. That's not drinking water standard. Oh, okay. um, but I think pretty much the stuff that comes in, I'm slightly off my expertise here, but I think pretty much all the stuff that, that comes into our... our so even the stuff the that you're, you're showering, the water that you have in the, coming yeah, through the shower, you can probably drink. pretty much the same. Yeah, yeah, okay. And what about hard and soft water? How does that work? I mean, that's, that's depending on the, um, <clears throat> the minerals through which the water has, has travelled. And obviously it gives it that distinctive 
different taste and we see the, the results of hard water in our kettles mm. and you know, washing machines and so on. And I mean, industrially, uh, soft water was really important for, for various industries because you can actually create more soap from it and yes. some industrial processes without needing to put more in. So mm. some of the soft water support, uh, um, soft water sources in, in the northern textiles, I mean, historically, that was really important for the location of those. I mean, things change and develop nowadays. Right. Now, I'm reading a little factlet here, which you can maybe help me with. It says the water cycle is a closed system. So theoretically, we could be drinking the same water as the dinosaurs. From 65 right, million years yeah. ago. I had no idea they had plumbing. Well, they didn't have plumbing, but they probably drank. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it doesn't, other than moving through the system, it doesn't go anywhere. Right. It doesn't go up into space or get, you know, disappeared. Right. So, you know, theoretically, I mean, you know, it, I'm sure it tasted the same, perhaps, but theoretically, the water we're drinking today could have been that water that dinosaurs 65 million years ago were drinking similarly. Right. And one of the things that really annoys me about the water companies in this country, because I've always, I always say, and I understand that it's not really a defensible point, but I always say, why on earth are we paying money for something that falls from the sky for free? But secondly, why do we pay more money for the water to be drained away? than for the water actually to be used, because that's one of the things that they now do. And it's basically an excuse for water companies to charge you double. So they charge you based on the metering of what water you use, but they then charge you the same amount for supposedly draining it away. Well, I suppose there's probably quite a bit of work between the rainfall and actually getting to our homes. <laughs> no, I get that. But, you know, it's a, it's, yeah. it's, 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 a slightly, it's a slightly theoretical, hypothetical point. But I just like making it because I just object to them making such a profit out of it. Yeah, I suppose, I mean, taking a slightly different view of this, I mean, you know, we're, we're really lucky, despite the money we pay for it, to have water, you know, pumped into our homes. And probably globally, about 70% of the world's population is in a broadly similar position with a water supply, either in their homes or very close by, one that's safe, that's not contaminated. Mm. And also, you know, we turn a tap on and it works. We don't have water shortages. But there's probably about... 30% of the world's population in, in, in a much more difficult, different sort of situation in terms of relying on different water sources, whether it's you know, open sources or, or having to travel much further to actually collect it from a standpipe or whatever. Yes, absolutely right. And so as far as the water systems go, um, and we hear an awful lot about you know, climate change and all that, we'll, we'll never run out of water, will we? No, I think the water will always be there. I think the challenge we always have is having it in a timely fashion and having you know, a safe water supply and, you know, the issues of flooding and sewage and all the rest of the, the things we have. I mean, you know, what's true for us here in the UK is most of our water falls in the west and the north of the UK, which uh, as a result of our prevailing weather systems coming from the southwesterly. Yet most people in the UK live in the southeast and the drier parts of, of our nations are in the south and the southeast. Right. So we have that imbalance of the water falling in one part, and yet the greater demand for water is in the other part mm. of the country. And it's trying to balance that out. That's, that's a real cha challenge for us, even though we have lots of water available. Yes, yes indeed. Uh, thank you very much indeed. Steve Brace, Head of Education and Outdoor Learning at the Royal Geographical Society. That's how the water system works. Uh, I hope you feel now uh, better informed than you were about water. Uh, we'll have some more homeschooling for you next week. I suppose when the schools go back, we'll stop the homeschooling, but I kind of like it. I think we should just keep doing it, you know, no matter what. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards. It can only mean one thing. The fabulous music has begun. It's time for the Perry Awards, which many people feel is the highlight of the week here on the Independent Republic of Microwave. It's time to say a very good afternoon to Marta Malagon. A very good afternoon to you. Very good afternoon to you. Thank you. Oh, I can barely hear myself. Really? You maybe should turn up the headphones a little bit. We've had a bit of a headphones I issue can, this I can, week. I can hear the music, though. Am really? I on mic? Um, you certainly are on a mic. I can hear you. Very well. Oh, well, maybe yeah. I'm just going deaf. Right. I need some hearing aids. Yes, possibly so. Very yes. good idea. Yeah. I know a good place to get them. Yeah, I think I think we've talked about this yes. before. Yes, yes. Uh, I might need a referral. Yes, I'll be okay. more than happy to do so. I can see we're still in the new studio. In the new fabulous studio, I can see just over your left uh, right shoulder, actually, the Tower of London. Yeah. Which is I beautiful. Can, I can see the BT Tower. Can you? Yes. Because you're looking the other way. Yes, I'm looking the other way. Wow. You can literally see everything. You know, there used to be a restaurant up there. Really? A revolving restaurant. Oh, and it was closed. Did you ever go? 
Uh, no, I think it was closed down because there was a bomb at one oh, point gosh. or other, uh, which I don't think actually blew up, but there was a bomb threat of some kind, so they closed oh, the whole building off. But, okay. um, yeah, I don't think it's a restaurant there anymore. No, I don't think there's anything there, is no. there? No, no, just the BT office. Yeah. Oh, there's mm. an office up there. Well, I assume there's something up there. I don't know. I haven't been up there. I, d- I don't know. I don't know. Well, I'm sure if somebody you know what's in the BT tower. <laughs> yes, I'm sure somebody will tell us. You know, just call Please us now. Please let us know. Yeah, yes. call 344. Anyway, good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon. And uh, welcome to the Parry Awards. Thank you very much indeed. For the new listeners, this is where we look back over the last week of the so-called <laughs> Independent so-called. Republic of yes. Graham on Talk Radio. That's it. And just my favourite moments. Mm. And as it's tradition... The first Perry goes to you. Thank you. And we're going to kick over the classic impression of the week. Harry, don't have any more beer, Harry. Drink this instead, it's green. They can't wear tights. No, they mustn't wear tights. It's a no-brainer. It's a deal-breaker. I can't get married if they wear tights. I can't do it. Harry! Harry! I like we haven't it done too much of it this week. It's good over the music, isn't it? I like it, yeah. You could do a remix, maybe. Yeah, I could do. You could do. I know. If yeah. we ever get a little bit bored. Yeah, we could do that. <laughs> I, I like no, you idea. haven't done much this week, but to be no. fair, there's not been much around. Well, they've been out of the news quite a bit, really. I mean, she was in the news a couple of days this week. Yeah. With the beers, apparently telling Harry he can't drink anymore. Did you read about the drones thing? The drums. Dr- drones. Oh, drones, no. Drones, like flying no. things. No. So um, they, uh, I've read this out somewhere. There's this uh, paparazzi company or whatever mm. it is that they oh, do. Yeah. Uh, they've been flying drones over the back garden. Oh, really? Uh, to, to see whether they can catch them. Right. And because the privacy laws in these states, they're different to Probably the ones different because you couldn't do that here. No, you couldn't do that here. So that's that's what people were being like, <clears throat> Interesting. idiots. Because if they hadn't left, mm. they could stop them from doing it. But apparently yep. they can't. So. Well, of course, he could have shot them down, but she made him <laughs> sell his gun. Didn't they? She made him sell his gun. So now he can't shoot them down. No. That's what I would do. I mean, if I was in America and somebody flew a drone over my house and I was a yeah. celebrity, I'd just shoot it down. You're allowed to. Can you Can you do that? Well, if you've got a gun license, sure. Why not? Well, I don't know. Maybe you can just catch them with like a You know, net technically over something. your property. <laughs> yeah. You just shoot it. Well, listen. Anyway. You learn something every day. Um, anyway, a few weeks ago, caller yes. Kenny Naska won the Perry for his Megan oh, impression yes. of the week. Now, I don't normally give callers the same award twice, but however, uh, I'm not going to make this an exception because he has very, very nicely. Unbelievable, isn't it? But I listen, think we should get some news from uh, um, from California, though. Yeah. To uh, actually see what's going on here, Mike. <laughs> I'm not sure what's happening in the Republic. So, um, as a previous winner of a Perrier Award, perhaps I could be put forward if you ask that very nice Spanish lady. <laughs> well. If you ask nicely... You can't say no. I'll listen. You know people are going to start ringing in now and asking for Perry Awards. Well, listen, this is not free-for-all. No. Like, it's got Please to do not do it. that. Please do not do that. Please do not tweet me and mask because no. uh, I, I will probably want... No, she'll but, block uh, me. Yeah, but, you know, I think the lesson to learn here is that be nice, hashtag be kind. Be kind, that's exactly right, as we always are on the show. Correct. Mm. Um, we all know what the big story has been this week. Something to do with someone getting a hearing aid test or an eye test yes, or some sort something of that. Like that. I'm not going to get into detail, um, but um, there's also something else going on, which is a thing called Brexit. Oh, yes. I don't know if you guys remember it. I we used to talk that. about it. Yeah, a lot. Um, Call it Tony in Bristol, founders, and he was making such good points about this Brexit thing that somehow he ended up triggering the apology of the week. Our entire trade policy is controlled by Brussels, but we have absolutely no say in it. So yeah. I think that's why, why they do it. Well, listen, I think you might well be right. Tony, fascinating, great call, so great that I forgot we were supposed to be going to the news. So many Oops. apologies to Sandy Wall, because <laughs> uh, I've come very late to her. Uh, here's the news headlines. I think we went to the news at 34 minutes That was really, really bad. I don't normally do that, but no, this week I was careless, I would say, more than once. Yeah, you've done that again today. I did do it again today. And, you know, and it was a bit very... late for me to put it as a late edition. For that, I'm very sorry. And, you know, I think you're forgiven. Thank you. As long as you're sorry. As long as you're sorry, you see. It's, it's fine. Everything's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Travel guru Simon Calder has become the UK's quarantine expert this week. I'm giving him also a peri for the honorary Spaniard of the week. Viva España. Yes. Uh, <laughs> that's it. That's it. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yep. That uh, was about the lockdown, the quarantine being lifted, wasn't it? Yes, in, July. in Spain, yeah. which is great. It's a great, but, uh, really it's good. not great because I can go, but I can't come back. Well, mm. unless you can fit in one of these exceptional uh, situations. I mean, you know, the BBC I, apparently yeah. can, can do it, so why can't you? Well, listen, I'll try and get a job Also, if you're a key worker, which is what you are, yeah. shouldn't you be able to avoid the quarantine? Right, so the way I've understood it is, like, you can only avoid the quarantine if you have to travel because of work. Right, 
and I don't have to go to Spain because of work. Not necessarily. Unless uh, we, we, um, but you know, we could come send up with you. something. <laughs> yeah, well, we could have Some to send you there. Some plan so yeah, I can go. I think so. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Um, during that same conversation with someone called her, you won a Perry for setting the challenge of the week. Mm. And indeed, camping and caravanning, those are very good ways of um, isolating. Uh, so I think... I'm not going be... to go that mad. Well, uh, I mean, okay. you won't get me in a tent, I'm afraid, Simon. Well, uh, <laughs> I shall see this as a personal <laughs> challenge, Mike. <laughs> Just an unrelated question. When yeah. we went to Westminster, where did the, we do the shows from? Uh, in a tent. Yeah. But I wasn't inside it. <laughs> I was wow. outside it. Unless it's raining, in which <laughs> case I go yeah, in. Yeah, exactly, which yeah. happened. <laughs> By the way, Chris has tweeted to say the BT Tower still has a restaurant up, up the top, but it's not open to the public. What's the point of that, then? Yeah. Is that like a, like a canteen for well, BT I guess. workers? That must be, yeah. Very good. Well, we'll, we'll do some uh, more investigations. Mm. Maybe we could do a show from there. Yeah, maybe. You know. Yeah. Um, another one for you, Mike. Uh, this one took place on Wednesday when you were talking to columnist and talk radio presenter uh, Andrew Walker. Yes. It's the clarification of the week. You know, I don't need to ask them whether or not if I go and find somebody that I used to know in a park, can I talk to somebody else who happens to be in the park as well? Well, of course you can. You know, what are you, an idiot? And let me say something else. That's not a question to you, by the way. Thank you for clarifying that. I did think I should say that because there was a bit of a gap and I thought, has he insulted me? You know, I wasn't sure. I think it was a delay because Andre was on on visual. Yes. So it could have well been Yes, I should take this opportunity actually to say that sometimes you might hear a bit of a delay because we are doing more and more conversations with people on video as well as on um, audio. So yes. you're not just listening to us, you're watching us. Mm-hmm. And there's sometimes a bit of a technical issue there. Yes, but, you know, it's not, it's not a big deal. But we're working on it. Yeah, we're working on yeah. it. You know, uh, uh, it's trial and, uh, and error. Is it how it is? I don't know. Dr. Parrish, uh, Dr. Matt Parrish from International SOS. He joined us oh, yesterday yes. to tell us how the government's test and trace plan is going to work, mm. which is a very important matter. We answered loads of uh, very important questions. But once we got through all the serious details, Dr. Parrish, came up with the question of the week. Mike, I had one for you. Yeah. Because I, I remember from our last chat, how's your hair going? <laughs> <laughs> Cheeky. So All and so. very important stuff. Well, you know, it's a How medical question. It, uh, well, it my, is a medical question. I, actually, I bought this serum, right, mm. um, which seems to have made it slightly less um, un, unmanageable. It's a bit yes. better behaved, as it were. So yes. it's not quite as fly away. But I thought, but by the time I get it home, that's all kind of worn off, and it's all just kind of by the time if it's windy, it's all over the place. Yes, yeah. I think a man bun is uh, man the bun. answer for all your. <laughs> yeah, but you'd have to problems. do it for me though. That's I fine. I, I can do, do that. my own man oh, bun. Oh, it's very easy. Is yeah. It? yeah, yeah. Do you want need an elastic hair. band? Yeah. yeah, which I always carry ah, on my wrist. Okay. So I well, can. Well, maybe we'll I give that always, a try next yeah. week. We can give that a try. Okay. <laughs> See what people all think. Moving on. It's actually been longer than this. Back in sort of 2014. Yeah, I, 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 for some reason I just felt like growing it really long. Yeah, and I see I saw pictures the other day where I went to Paris, and it's literally about twice as long as this. Wow, looks ridiculous. Wow. Yeah. If you could please find those pictures, uh, I'll, I'll I would, bring I would them. love to see yes. uh, evidence yes, of I that bring occurrence. Um, the Nobel Prize. Yeah. We all know the Nobel Prize is named after Alfred Nobel. Yes. Who created dynamite? Mm, um, did he? This week. I didn't know that. Well, I didn't know that either, but I did some <laughs> Google search earlier. Dynamite. <laughs> well, why did you get the Peace Prize then? Well, it's, it's not very peaceful. <laughs> well, it depends on what you use dynamite for. Well, I don't know. Yeah. I've right. never used dynamite. Me can neither. I say. This week I've got mad and I have decided to introduce the Larvin Award, okay. uh, which is named after a favourite uh, talk radio engineer, yes. James Larvin. Yes. And this award will be given every time there is a technical mistake caused by incompetence or, <laughs> <laughs> or human error. Excellent. This week's victim is caller Mike in York. Right. Let's talk to Mike who's in York. Hello, Mike. That is possible, but those shots are Mike. <laughs> wow. Yeah, can you hear me? I can. You're going to turn your radio off, though, otherwise there'll be a bit of an echo. They always say that. They always say I haven't got it on, but it clearly they're is lying. on. Yeah, they're lying. Why, why would you not just go, okay. I know, I know. Listen, I don't like people lying to me. No, it's not on. But um, anyway, we love you, Mike. Yeah, thanks, Bring us Mike. again soon. Turn your radio off. Yeah. <laughs> now we're going to go on a, li- on a little tour. Um, off to Afternoons with Ian Collins. Oh, yes. Conservative MP Robert Courts made an appearance to talk about something to do with uh, that story that we cannot mention. Oh, yes. Which is about hearing aids. Yes. Um, and I'm not sure um, what he was on about, to be honest. Mm. But whatever it was, um, he wins the peri for the lonely moment of the week. 
um, you know, whether he did the right thing. It's about whether what he did was reasonable, because that's what the regulations uh, that were in force at the time uh, required him to do. This is awkward. <laughs> Hello? <laughs> Talk radio. There we go. Brilliant. Fantastic. Just Something leave him hanging. There. Yes. I think Ian just was what like, happened? no. Well, I guess his connection must have dropped because yeah, he's okay. at home. Easily done. But I think it's... Uh, well done, Larvin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this was a good contender for the Larvin yes, Award, but, you know, much. it didn't quite make it. Yeah. Um, we're going to carry on with that tour of the Talk Radio schedule. Okay. In fact, we're going to go back in time all the way to last Friday. Okay. Uh, Friday Drive Time host Mark Dolan wins the Parrot Award for the surreal moment of the week. I'm suggesting a tweak to the government's catchphrase. We had stay alert, control the virus, save lives. We still want to save lives, of course. But what we also... Can I just point out, I'm on the radio here, someone has just walked past the studio with a Christmas tree. <laughs> like the world couldn't be surreal enough. A global pandemic, an economy that's about to crash into the iceberg, and a man walking past the brand new 17th floor talk radio studios with a Christmas tree. And it, it wasn't Father Christmas. Mm. I didn't know that uh, we were in brand new studios above uh, the Thames. Apparently but, uh, so. I have seen the Christmas tree before. Yes, the it Christmas was down the tree corridor. was So moved. they've now taken it? They've taken it. Oh. And I am told that if you're watching on YouTube, uh, you can see a picture of the this Christmas tree in particular. From last Friday. From last Friday. Excellent. And uh, I can tell you, I know who the person is. Okay. And I'm going to name and shame them. Is uh, Gareth from Digital. Oh, really? Yes. What's he done with the tree? Well, I don't know. Mm. I don't know. He claims he moved it so people couldn't walk past the studio, but I think he's just taking it I home. I think he's taking it home, yeah. Why not? I've got a Christmas tree at home. Yeah, you do. Yep. You've got it up all year, don't you? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> because every day's Christmas to me. Hey. <laughs> anyway, I'm running well over. We're, so we're I'm gonna, a bit um, late here, This yeah. is our last stop, Come on. which is breakfast with Julie Hartley-Brewer. Former Deputy Prime Minister Lord Michael Heseltine made an appearance and he makes it to this week's Perry Awards for the record-breaking longest answer of the week. Dominic Cummings uh, is, is certainly damaging the, 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 the Tory party and Boris Johnson at the moment. Not only do most of the public think he should go, but uh, the, the ratings for trust in and uh, competence of the Conservative Party have gone down. And indeed, in Boris Johnson, he's expending an awful lot of his own political capital. Um, do you think that he is right to keep his advisor or wrong? Wrong. <laughs> And, have, and, and has any of your viewpoint got to do with the fact that you know this man has, has basically helped deliver the one thing you thought was the most terrible thing to happen to this country? Are you part of a witch hunt against him? No. <laughs> <laughs> well done. It's like one word answers from Lord Hesel. Well done. Well yeah. done, Lord Heseltine. Well, well done, played. everyone. Um, Thank you. Anyway, um, that's all for the Perry Awards. There'll be more Brilliant. next week. The Perry Awards on Talk Radio. Radio across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB, online, or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.